Welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. Through this podcast, speaking and coaching, we focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness, intention, and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. Join us to radically redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting, when we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection. We're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. After this brief intro, you'll hear the audio from our latest live Instagram Q&A. Our live sessions are so much fun. We basically Mm -hmm. show up and connect, commiserate, and build skills alongside our upbringing community. Folks write in ahead of time or chime in with questions and struggles around kids' big feelings and challenging behaviors. We typically explore five to 15 questions and offer our take, our instincts, our goals, helpful phrasing, and ways to parent with alignment and integrity using our resist approach. Thank you for being here and for supporting us. And if you'd like to give your family and upbringing some extra support, please visit our website at upbringing.co to learn about our upcoming membership community, as well as our shop, which is now full of informative guides and inspiring prints based on everything we've shared here on the podcast these past two years. Wow. Two years. (laughs) Thanks for growing up alongside us one conversation at a time. Here we go. I'm Hannah. This is Kelty. We're Hello. upbringing. We're here live uh, for our weekly Q&A on big feelings and challenging behaviors of our sensitive and strong-willed kids. TGIF, everyone. Is it Friday? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're in our coats, uh, a little bundled up here in our um, future home uh, where we uh, find quiet um, and the ability <laughs> like we're to... We're so far from our kids right now. Yeah, totally. Uh, And this is where we love to connect with you all about those big feelings and challenging behaviors that you might be struggling with uh, at home and how we can kind of reframe from our beliefs to our goals to our role in how we show up and grow up around those kids of ours uh, for what we call sanity and social change. Yeah, and we also love taking a situation that you're going through, a challenge around bedtime, eating, (sighs) hygiene, homework, big feelings, sibling conflict, whatever it is. And stretch it apart, pull it apart a little bit. Talk about prevention. Talk about presence in the moment and talk about processing afterwards. The three P's, yeah. right? That really can help us just get our heads around a situation, tear up that fucking script mm-hmm. and go at it a different way that feels more other P productive mm-hmm. um, for everyone. Not other P permissive, right? Right. All of this work we're doing uh, to show up and grow up along our, alongside our kids is productive. It's productive for their nervous systems, for their self-concept, for their skill building, mm-hmm. for our relationship, for our family culture, mm-hmm. right? It's and ultimately all matters outside of that as well. Yeah. Hopefully for a little social change, hopefully for um, getting some people out there who are going to be making thing, the world feel a little bit different, right? And yeah. be different. And I think that's something that people bring up often is, oh my gosh, though, like 
what am I conditioning them to think is normal? If I'm like being this totally respectful parent at home and then they get into the big bad world and they're going to be disappointed. It is not like that. They're going to be taken advantage of. They're going to be abused. They're going to be unskilled. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think it's something we keep coming back to and saying, you're right. What are we normalizing? Normalizing is the word, Mm -hmm. right? We want our kids to think respect, compassion, innovation, as boundaries and limit setting, all of those things are normal. We want them to believe that is normal so that when they do move out into the, the big bad world, as people always say, they're going to be saying, what? That doesn't smell good to me. Oof, that doesn't sound good to me. Oof, don't touch me like that. Or Oof, I need to talk to the manager here. Mm-hmm. And or, oh, this is how I treat other people, how mm-hmm. I was treated at home with respect and with trust and with open communication and with clear boundaries, right? All the things. Yeah. What we're normalizing can be really good, right? Or it can be less ideal. And it doesn't have to match the world that we currently live in. It can predict the world that our kids can create and recreate from our home environment with them. I love that. And I love thinking about our relationship. And it's something that is exciting, but also painful at times based on the ways that we've shown up so naturally based on our own cultural conditioning, thinking about the fact that we are our kids' first best friend, first confidant, first lover, first boss, first coworker, first teacher, first everything. So thinking about the way- paving the way for what they're expecting in those relationships and the person that they're going to be and the ways that they're going to show up. No pressure. (laughs) Just think about it. Let's hold it in our consciousness. We can cry about it. We can yell at it. We can lovingly accept it. <clears throat> we can have all the feelings And we can about be inspired it. by it too. Like Thank you. That we don't go about this perfectly or consistently all the time. And that's the whole growing up alongside our kids aspect of this process mm-hmm. of parenting is that we're building the skills alongside them and we're not supposed to know all of this stuff and it's totally okay mm-hmm. and there's no shame or blame and we're just doing the daily every day. It's practice. Every, yeah, it's practice. Exactly. We've got a couple people written in already. Let us know what you're going through. Otherwise, we'll dig into some DMs that uh, we have meant to get to and have not gotten to. Molly says, looking forward to your wisdom tonight. Lots of big feelings in my oldest five-year-old because I'm having baby three any minute amongst the holidays. Oof. Oof Molly, we Molly. did not know that. Congrats. That's really exciting. <clears throat> Let us know if you want to talk out any specific situations about with your five-year-old mm-hmm. and their understandable... Um, Big you know, feelings. Big feelings around this, these big transitions, right? That's a lot for yeah. all of you. Let us know too, anyone else, if that's uh, feeling relevant to you. We can it's totally dive in. Especially with the, like, where does that fall for you, Molly? In the, is it prepare? Is it presence? Or is it process? What stage are you feeling like, maybe I should be doing more processing with this five-year-old. Maybe I should try to have more presence with this five-year-old with these big feelings. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should try to prepare them a little more about what mm-hmm. to expect or how to feel and talk about it beforehand. Um, we're here to support you. Yeah. Check out our, um, our speaking page of our website too, because we've been on a handful of podcasts talking about this very topic of just wrapping your mind and heart around these big feelings and challenging behaviors that our older kids can sometimes have or show us, um, when a new baby is being brought home and how to kind of work with that and, and not feel stuck by it or at odds. Yeah. Yeah. Not to see our kids stress language as anything, but just a stress language, Mm -hmm. right. That we can support as best we can over time. Sarah says, recently at a play date, my three and a half year old's friend reprimanded her for bad behavior. I tried to explain she wasn't bad. She just needed something. 
How to help a child understand other child children's judgment. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I love that. You can start really early. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really tricky. And I think, I mean, it's there's nothing to really, I don't know, if that's a lot of pressure to say, how can I uh, co- communicate all of these values and, mm-hmm. and this stuff to this friend of my three and a half year she old. She saying, how do moment. I tell my three and a half year right. old? But so we, we can't necessarily control mm-hmm. that, but we can focus on our three and a half year old and say, how can I process with them? Mm-hmm. I can, in the moment, that presence and be like, oh, you're feeling like that's bad behavior. That's how you're seeing it. Hmm. This is just stress behavior. And he's showing us his needs or they're showing us their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here for it. And it's all good. It's mm-hmm. under control. I think a lot of times... Those other kids who maybe are experiencing something different at home can feel very unsafe when our kids are doing things that these other kids get punished for, right? Or get shamed for, or mm-hmm. get ignored about, right? And so they're communicating. She that learned to that you. reprimanding language somewhere. <clears throat> yeah. Right? Yeah. So I Probably. think that you're right. Circle back. Great. Yeah. With our kid being like, oh, just walk through the steps of what happened, right? Oh my gosh. That was so tricky earlier. You and that, that kid at the park, you're playing so well. All of a sudden, she wanted the thing and you wanted the thing and you grabbed it and ran away. You must have really wanted it. And then she said, you got bad behavior. And how did that feel for you? What, mm-hmm. what were you thinking? I wonder what she was going through. Mm-hmm. I wonder how her big feelings and her behaviors are handled at home by mm-hmm. her parents. Maybe she was trying to say, I don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And she was confused. She felt confused. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we're confused, we're like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was confused and she said that. Right. But mm-hmm. we're all here together and that's what we're trying to figure out together in all yeah. of these situations. I like entering those conversations with our kids, not like we have all the answers, but saying like, oh, I wonder if she was going through this. What do you think she was doing? Yeah. Or I thought you were doing going through this. How are you feeling about it? You tell me instead of me fucking telling you everything about your life. Right. I don't have to have all the answers. Yeah. And that's kids don't look to us for all the answers either. I think we're trained to think that. But they really would rather just have an ally on their own journey of figuring things out, right? Sarah said, exactly. I've seen my daughter's friends, parents reprimand their own daughter with language we don't use with our daughter. Love this reflection. Thank you. Yeah. We can't always prevent our kids from hearing things from other kids or from other parents or grandparents or, um, you know, co-parents or teachers, but we can process with them after and just translate and explore and create Mm -hmm. security around that that differing um, opinion or process or belief system. Mm -hmm. Someone put a question sticker in, said, what to do when my 17-month-old decides to protest and lays on the ground and doesn't want to move? Mm. Mm. Yeah. It sounds like a a very healthy 17-month-old to me. Yeah. I wonder what they're protesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where we begin. What are they protesting? Why are they protesting? What are they needing? What's going on for them? Right? I think so much about this, and, and you really um, kind of allude to this, uh, Sasha, is saying they decide to do it. And I think that, that that really kind of brings up that idea of like intentionality and wanting Manipulation. To, to do these things that drive us crazy. And I think that so much we have to continue to remember is that our kids, our, our babies, our toddlers, even us adults, we don't consciously decide to do a lot of the things that we do. Our bodies tell us to do these things in order to feel safe and to get our needs met. So I think the first thing we got to do with our babies, our toddlers, our kids, our adolescents, our teens, is to say everything they're doing is information and that they're communicating consciously or unconsciously, intentionally deciding or unconsciously just reacting, reacting, right? 
to say, I'm uncomfortable and I'm needing help. And I'm doing this in front of you, trusted caregiver, who can hopefully support me, right? And so Mm -hmm. 17 month old doesn't want to uh, move and is protesting something. What are they protesting? And I think it always gets me into get really curious about what freedom is at stake here for and not what my freedom child. is at stake, but what freedom are we impinging on essentially? Right. So we have our freedoms model with ten freedoms are that we've kind of come to 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 believe are our kids that we can so naturally over control in their their freedom to feel, their freedom to speak, to choose, to nourish, to move, to play. Um, to choose, um, to know, all of these freedoms of theirs where we start out with them little babies and we're doing everything and we're all over it. And as they start getting older, they start trying to take those reins, right? And a lot of things become power struggles when our responsibility comes up against their sense of autonomy and independence and their need to differentiate from us. And so how can we make that a negotiation? How can we boil that down every time it happens, essentially to a conversation between two human beings, whether it's a 40-year-old and a 17-month-old or a two-year-old and a six-year-old or whatever it is, and say, what are you needing? What's going on with you? And really, like you were talking about, Hannah, in the respect step of our resist approach, thinking, how have I contributed to this? Did I maybe skip a little bit ahead and not tell them where we were going? Did I maybe rush them through a process or a transition without connection? Did I maybe put a little bit too many too many demands on them, too much pressure to get through this one thing? Right. Or do they just not want to fucking do it? And this is my chance to ask why and understand them. And to ultimately, excuse me, respect and trust in their resistance and remember that a child's resistance, a toddler's resistance is so healthy. If our toddlers and kids did not resist, we should be worried about how easily that they, they could be taken advantage of now and in the future. Right. Our goal is not obedience. Blind obedience is not uh, constant conformity. Right. It's that they are speaking from an inner wisdom and authority that says, what about this? I don't know. They're self-advocates from the start. And we want to continue to nurture that impulse of self-advocacy. And that requires that we continue to be a co-advocate with them in these moments. So when a 17 month old is resisting, whatever it is, I don't know what they're protesting. You can let us know, Sasha. When they're protesting, we have to then take a step back and say, oh, what's going on? What's at play? Like Kelsey said, oh, did I rush through these things? Did I do all of these things? Mm -hmm. And then we have to remember, instead of those moments where we want to be like, okay, they're on the floor, they're protesting, they're resisting, I'm seeing this as bad. We're going to flip the belief and say, this is natural, normal, necessary. This is something I want to nurture. And then our goal, rather than shutting down and forcing them to do whatever it is, is to understand what's at play and to help support them, right? Mm-hmm. And then our role becomes, instead of control person, enforcer. judge, jury, enforcer, right? Police. Asshole, right? That doesn't feel good to us. We get to be an ally and say, even if we have to hold the line and say, we've got to get you into the car, into your car seat, mm-hmm. or I've got to help you change that really messy diaper because I'm so worried it's going to just go everywhere or give you a diaper rash, we can still hold fast to our things and say, I'm going to do this limit. But I'm going to do it in a way that's loving and it's not undermining and harming the impulse mm-hmm. that is so critical that my child has. I want to tell them, yes, you, that, absolutely. And instead of no thing, because right. but, 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 right, right. And it's I think- not me versus you. It's not either or. It's and mm-hmm. we can both be doing it's like this. the rules of improv, right? Yeah. Instead of saying, oh, we're stuck in this script where I say it's time to change your diaper and they say no, or I say, put your shoes on, it's time to go. And they flail on the ground. We 
tear up that script that we talked about earlier. We say this is an improv routine. This is yes and. And let's move forward in this in this kind of totally terrifying, really exciting limbo where we try to get both people's needs met or right. multiple people's needs met. And where we're not the only ones writing the script and being on stage mm -hmm. in this metaphorical improv routine with our kids. They have a voice too. And our kids' resistance from a very early age says, bring me in. Mm -hmm. I want to be here. I have an opinion. I have a voice. Mm -hmm. I have ideas. Which side of the stage? Which props? Which things? Mm -hmm. And like you said, Kelty, it's a big trust fall. It's really scary to give up some of our power. Right. And we're not giving up all of our power to our kids. We're saying, mm -hmm. I'm still responsible. Right. But I have to be able to give you some of this power so that you know what to do with it. And I also mm -hmm. have to model my power and my authority in a responsible way. So I'm teaching you about how to move forward with power and privilege when you have more of it as you grow up. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. picture a 17 month old protesting, lying on the ground, doesn't want to move when you have to get to the car. I think we'd run our resist approach. So check that out on our website. But it's basically, instead of over controlling our kids, dominating, oppressing them in a moment that's so naturally, we just were like, okay, consequences on my terms. Now threats, rewards, overpower, lectures, shame, blame, spanking, duh. What else can we do <laughs> when they're resisting us like this? It feels terrible. I think we're going to set that little toolbox aside. I'm just going to keep it right there. Keep it close by because it's so familiar, but I'm not going to use it right now. We're going to use the resist approach instead. So we're going to respect their right to protest, their right to advocate for their needs, right? We're going to empathize. Looks like you don't want to get up. You don't want to go go to the car. What's going on? You want to stay here or what's, what are you thinking? 17 months old absolutely can understand this. And even four-year-olds, six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, they're like, I don't want to go grocery shopping with you. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. Right. And then we, then we go from yeah. the respect step to the empathize step to the, in a, to the sync up step. Well, you want to stay here. Here's the thing. Here's what I'm needing. My concern is, or but we got to get going or don't fucking say it because they probably already know yeah. that it's time, ding, ding, whatever it is. I, you know, I've got to get to work or you want to stay, but it's kind of that time, right? You got to pick up that important thing at the doctor's, that medication. Yeah. I mean, you know this is. already, so I'm just going to say it really quick. So what can we do? Then we get to the I step, innovate. What can we do? We need ideas, right? And with a 17 month old, oh, they're so like excited to collaborate with us. And the innovate step is the fun step. It's where we can get goofy, innovative, um, silly, imaginative. We can say, do you need a piggyback ride? Can I help you put your socks on with my eyes closed? Do you want to pretend to be an animal and you ride my back to the car? Mm -hmm. Do you want to put a song on? And I spin you around three times with the song on before we run out the door. And this is the, where we problem solve. And with those older kids, it can be the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. what are you needing? Are you needing a snack? Are you needing to bring your storybook in the car? Mm -hmm. Are you needing to, we do this and then you get something done that you need to, and I can support you when we get home. Like, it's not just my way or the highway and you got to get along here, kid. Mm -hmm. You're a human. I'm a human. How can we get both of our needs met? And I think back to the res the respect step of the resist approach that's available for download on our website, this process, this um, conversation we run through with our kids during challenges and competing needs, which this sounds like it is, is saying, <clears throat> does this actually need to get done? Do I need to drag my kid on errands or can I get those done another time? Can I get them delivered? Can mm -hmm. I get someone else to do them? Can I do this? If that's, there's that much resistance. I was going to say, that's what our kids resistance does. It, it shouldn't yeah. make us kick into high gear and say, this must happen. Yeah. Now I'm going to triple down on this, this yeah. decision, this expectation, this need of mine. 
I think that it's okay to let our kids' resistance question our expectations, question our own needs. It's okay. We're not doubting, self-doubting. It's okay to question, Mm -hmm. do we have to leave the house now? Does the diaper change have to happen now? Does it have to happen in this room? Does it have to happen this way? Do all the clothes have to go on before we leave the house? Do they really? Do they really? Do we have to go to the park right now? Or could we go in 45 minutes when my kid is feeling a little bit more open to it? Are evenings hard to get out to the grocery store? What can we do instead besides dragging our kid on an errand like that when they're clearly showing us they want to be home and need to be home? I'm so fucking tired of seeing two parents and a a child or two at the grocery store doing like an eight o'clock family fun grocery shopping trip where it's not fun for the kids. I just had to say that on the side. Divide and conquer people. One of you go to the store, one of you take your kid home and get bedtime going. I, I realize that's a privileged standpoint, so I just want to say that too. But mm-hmm. someone said, but should I've we, been struggling with that. Should we let kids prevent us from doing things each time? I mean, p- kids prevent us from doing things from the beginning. They first prevent us from getting sleep, right? Mm-hmm. Then they prevent us from taking a shower, right? Or seeing friends or staying out late. Kids prevent us from all sorts of things. If you want to think of it from that context, because like they're welcome just, to your new job. Welcome <laughs> to being a parent. They prevent us from doing things because they are seeing to their needs and advocating for themselves. And our job is to see to their needs. So yeah, they're going to prevent us from doing a lot. And we have to figure out at a certain point, what is it that we think that they could maybe do versus what is it that we feel like is harmful to their development, their, um, their physical health, they are relationship. And mm-hmm. that's why Kelty and I focus so much in the resist approaches on relationship and communication because mm-hmm. very oftentimes they could actually go to the grocery store. They could actually get outside to the park or they could actually do those things, but they're, they're having some resistance and they're struggling. There's an obstacle there. And we don't have to just say, oh, forget it. We'll never go to the park or we'll never grocery shop or get any shit done that we need to around our kids. We can find that middle way. And that's the resist Mm -hmm. approach is saying, how can we engage in a respectful conversation that's not letting it all go or cracking down hard? Mm -hmm. There is a middle way And that's where we went. We started going to the resist approach with this 17-month-old who's protesting and lying on the ground, getting out the door or whatever it is. We respected their right to protest. We empathized with their point of view as far as we could understand it, looking for Mm -hmm. feedback, right? We synced up and said, well, here's my need after I've understood yours. We innovated. What can we do to get out that door? Maybe that worked. Maybe that didn't, and we have to actually set the limit. So we summarize and say, oh, we tried to find some ways, and we couldn't manage it, And but we really do have to go. So I'm going to help your body into the car, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm going to take those scissors out of your hands, or I'm going to pull you off your sibling, or I'm going to help us go towards the bathroom this way. That's or the summarized help, step, right. where after we've done all these other things that build skills, build connection, build self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? Then we say we lovingly follow through. Very often in parenting, we're taught to just follow through right away. I have this agenda. You're not meeting it. I'm going to follow through. And instead, the resist approach builds in all this this middle way, essentially, of saying, how can I engage with this child in a respectful way that builds mm-hmm. their skills, preserves their, their inner wisdom and authority we want to be keeping, and supports our relationship? Mm-hmm. Let's do all those things first. And then if that doesn't support them in, in feeling calm and confident mm-hmm. and innovative and connective and moving through and getting up off the ground or putting the shoes on or mm-hmm. getting in the car seat, 
then that's when the loving follow-through happens. Yeah, and then last of the resist approach after respect, empathize, sync up, innovate, summarize is trust, mm -hmm. right? So after this all happens, maybe we had to physically move our kids from one place to another, wrestle that diaper on or grab them from a road that was busy or whatever it is, that's when we circle back and apologize. That's when we admit the times that we've had to break consent, mm -hmm. right? This is our moment to normalize and continue positive associations around the shit that happened earlier that mm -hmm. instinctually we want to forget about and never bring up. Right. We're going to bring up. Right. And with those older kids too, you can't, that's the tricky thing is that with these younger kids, we're able to lovingly move their bodies, move their yeah. bodies to do that and say, we, we respectfully engaged in this process. And then we moved through. But oftentimes with those older kids, they say, no, I'm not getting in the freaking car to go this, run this errand with you. I'm eight years old. I can't be left alone that's yet. That's when we go, we're like incentives, consequences. Right. Yeah. I've got nothing. And that's when we can very often just say, I'm going to let it go this time. And then we'll do that circle back in the trust mm -hmm. step, like Kelty said, and we'll plan for next time. We'll figure mm -hmm. it out. I'll think about what else I can do. And then I'm going to connect with my kid to say, how can we move through this differently? Mm -hmm. What can we do? Right. Yeah. It's worth it for our relationship and it builds all of those innovation skills yeah. and connection really do help the resistance yeah. uh, kind of wane in a positive way. But it's hard. I think yeah. so often we look at our kid lying on the ground and protesting, not wanting to move when something needs to happen to us. And mm -hmm. we think like, this is it. Like, this is, I have to stop this or this is imperative. And I, I really keep coming back to that respect step of the resist approach and yeah. saying, is this imperative? What if we miss this dinner? What if we miss this play date? What if we're an hour late to school? What if? Like question, question that. Because when we push past that, that questioning, we're doing our kids a disservice because mm -hmm. we're refusing to engage with reality mm -hmm. and we're forcing our own expectation on the situation. And we're telling them not to resist, that mm -hmm. their resistance and inner resistance to things, to external control, to other people's expectations, uh, just doesn't matter as much. So we want to be preserving and mm -hmm. respecting their spirit of resistance as best we can. Yeah. Someone said, how is the adult that? in the situation who needs to get to the day's errands done? Yeah. Deal with the child who has no desire to participate. Please discuss different ages. I think this one's about chores. No, yeah. I mean like our, we meet our kids where they are. We bring them in and model um, chores and contributions to the family. That's our kids' freedom to contribute. Check it out on our freedoms model. Um, we do not force chores. We do not force cleanup. We don't force any of that stuff because we want to, like with many other uh, freedoms and aspects of their lives, create positive associations around those things. Right. So we don't let it all go and we don't crack down hard. We find through the resist approach, the conversations, the support, the mm -hmm. little bits of scaffolding, the skill of clearing your plate to the table. What are all the obstacles? What are all the opportunities? Run the resist approach. Right. Exactly. They won't clean up their room. Run the resist approach. Right. They won't put away the art supplies. Run the resist approach. Yeah. It says, I'm going to engage in conversation instead of assuming you should do X, Y, Z and twist in your arm or work in that control yeah. toolbox in a way that Jake said you answered. maybe we're, we're not, yeah, yeah, we're not excited about. Someone said, how would you handle your four and a half year old not wanting to go to one of her own activities, like a dance class or swim lesson? How do you feel when you don't feel like going to the gym mm -hmm. or when you don't feel like, you know, going to that club book club meeting because you didn't read the book or you're just not that interested in uh, it right that's that's a question that yeah. comes up when we talk about that that innovate step that we talked about was so fun in the resist approach where we say we need ideas how can we do this and that little white dude on our shoulder says why are you bending over backwards to make this so easy indulgent. to make it fun for them like you have to just do all these things to like engage them so they'll clean their fucking room or put their fucking shoes on yes and this is why 
so that when they're 30 or 40 or 70 and they need to do the taxes or call their mother-in-law or clean their garage or brush their teeth or do whatever it is, they've practiced saying, this is feeling hard. Why is this feeling hard? What am I needing? Nothing is wrong with me. I'm not in trouble. Nope. Okay. No judgment here. What am I needing? What am I needing more of? What am I needing less of? What could I use to help me get through this situation? and feel good while I'm doing it? Do I need headphones while I clean the garage, right? Do I need to like go get a breath of fresh air before I call that person? Do I need to blow that thing off because I've thought it through? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to hire somebody to help me do this instead of do it myself? But we're building critical thinkers here, right? Who are honoring that noticing and attuning to that inner wisdom and authority in a really big way. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to these um, activities that our kids have quote unquote consented to doing like ballet class or martial arts Mm -hmm. or whatever it is that all of a sudden they don't want to go and it can be really destabilizing and stressful we're like they're expecting us we're losing money Mm -hmm. like this feels inconsistent if i let them not do this or that voice comes in that says you've made a commitment right they're going to be a quitter Mm -hmm. right and i think that there's that fear there and it's not true and i think again instead of letting it go and letting them just not go to anything they don't want to or cracking down and forcing them to go. Mm-hmm. Again, find that middle with a resist approach. You don't want to go. How can we right. go? Yeah. Okay. I'm respecting the right uh, to say, I don't feel like ballet today. And I say, why not? I'm going to validate not that. Explain it. Everything. I need to you know. I'm drilling down. You don't want to do ballet. You don't want to do ballet okay. right now. Thanks Tell for me. sharing Ugh. with that. What's fun about it? Tell What's not more. fun about it? Right. What's been good lately? Is there something you want to just be doing at home right now. You're like super in flow with your coloring or like, I totally get that. Right. So we've respected and empathized. And then we sync up. My concern is I was going to pick up dinner while after I dropped you off. So I'm not quite sure how to go get dinner if you want to stay home. Or my concern is we did pay $400 or my concern is grandma bought you these classes and I'm just wondering a little bit how she'll feel if we don't go to any of them. Or I'm wondering, I know you've liked going generally Mm -hmm. so far. If we skip this week, next week, they're going to have new skills Mm -hmm. that they've built on this week. I'm just a little worried that you might be like, whoa, what are these new skills? Do you think that's a thing or am I just, I'm just wondering. Building awareness and helping them critically think through Mm -hmm. their resistance. Let me think, think innovate step. What can we do? Like, can I give you a breath of fresh air? Should we, I'll call the instructor. We could be a little late. Would that help you get going? Should, should we put a song on? You pick out. We'll do a dance party to just get back in the vibe of moving our bodies before we get to that class. Yeah. Sometimes I just need to like go and then I can really decide before I walk through the door. I think door. that's good. We'll go there. What, what do you say? We go, we sit in the car and we, then decide. we decide. Or we walk up, we peek in. Is it feeling good? Is it not feeling good? Trusting your intuition. We'll decide. But I think that helping them move, again, taking that one thing, being like success is, is they go to that dance class mm-hmm. or whatever it is about our child has committed to. That can be a lot of little steps to get there. And it does success doesn't mean they go into that class. It could mean you talked through all of the options. You weighed the pros and cons. You, you drove there the and then drove home. You drove there. You looked in the window. You sat for a little while. They decided they still weren't ready. Then you go home. And that's all very, very helpful and wonderful skill mm-hmm. building, right? Yeah. Hannah brought this up in a coaching session earlier. Same yeah. goes for broccoli, right? It's not all about the broccoli mm-hmm. getting into their stomach. It's about, okay, tasting the broccoli, smelling the broccoli, cutting the broccoli, playing with the broccoli, shopping for the broccoli, talking about broccoli, watching someone else eat broccoli. It's all good, right? Mm -hmm. It's all progress. 
Yeah. So I think that that like, like so much of parenting is about us redefining what success actually is. Mm-hmm. And I think our culture tells us success is money in the fucking bank. Success is the proof right Completion. there. Check, check mark. <laughs> right. And I think with parenting, that's not it's where not. learning is. I mean, think about all yeah. the other like half quarter, hundredth steps of things you do that you should be celebrating every day around your parenting. Yeah. And, and when kids you, too. And when, yeah, when you think about how mm-hmm. kids learn, it's not going to the gymnastics class every single time. It's actually an incredible learning experience is not wanting to go and figuring out why that is and how to maybe get there and think mm-hmm. about it and weigh the pros and cons. That's not um, the obstacle to success. That is successful learning in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that's a, that's a big pill to swallow and a rejigger of our brains to think yeah. that conflicts aren't actually necessarily inherently a conflict. They don't have to be. Yeah. They're opportunities. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Someone said, how would you handle your four and a half year old not wanting to go to one? Of, oh, we said that one. Oh, not I, wanting to go to one of your dance class. Thanks for queuing that up. Uh, what about a three year old not wanting to spend time with her dad for her first sleepover? a week. I want to honor her wishes and feelings, but also he is her dad and wants time with her. That's kind of connected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we parent differently and I know she doesn't feel emotionally supported by him, <clears throat> which is why I suspect she doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a possibility? I think that's the first question in the respect step. Broccoli. Um, is it a possibility for her to not go? Would mm-hmm. that be okay? Mm-hmm. Or is this a must have? And I think we would approach it a little bit differently depending on whether it has to happen or mm-hmm. not. Yeah. And opening that conversation mm-hmm. with her about what are the concerns? Mm-hmm. You know, is it feeling new? Is it feeling whatever? Maybe you're projecting a lot of stuff that you're experiencing and feeling. And maybe she's just like, I don't know, mm-hmm. this is new. And I'm just like, uh, a lot of times kids will say no when they're just like, I'm not sure. They don't know how to say, I have some concerns and I want to talk about and it. It'd be so great for my like, decision. Mom, I'm a little yeah. bit on the fence. <laughs> I've like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go because I love dad, but I've got this feeling in my tummy that's just like, but it's new and weird or I'm not 100% on board and I don't really know how to communicate that. Our kids can't say that to us. They just say, no, I don't want to go. Nope, not Not happening. happening. And then we hear that and we're like, Jesus Christ, they Mm -hmm. don't want to go. Or they're not going to go to ballet or to the Mm -hmm. dad's house or whatever it is. So we have to not take what they're saying completely 100% as the all of the stuff necessarily, Mm -hmm. especially depending on their age. And say, let's start digging and connecting and figuring Mm -hmm. out what are the concerns? What are you thinking? I'm here. I'm your ally. So easy to take our kids' words seriously that way, though. I ended up yesterday somehow with all four kids in a Lego store because Hannah had to run to the car to do therapy last minute. And I was with all of them. And I was like, how did I end up here? And Hannah's son got into this kind of loop of I'm not leaving until I get something. And it was, sorry. I, that's okay. I didn't get okay. to tell you about this. Yeah. <laughs> and it was against our agreements. We went in with an agreement and a plan and all this stuff and everyone else was kind of with it and doing it. And he was just like, I will not leave without one of these three things and kept saying, but I want it, but I want it. And all these automatic negative thoughts going through my mm-hmm. head being like, you sound like a spoiled, crazy person. You're holding us up. This is not our agreement. All of these things. And I think like eventually I got to that point of this, this doesn't mean it's not going to happen or this doesn't mean it is going to happen. Just we can't take our kids' words literally all the time. We can just float, reflect, validate, move and just, through the feeling with them. But, but not push through the feeling. Yeah. And I think that's what we often want to do is just get to the other side. So I'm just like, no, that's not true. It makes right. it p- can pushes we shortcut to this. counter it Yeah, and, as opposed to just kicking back and just if we don't have anywhere to be right this moment, 
I'm just going to not say anything. I'm going to ride this out and see what happens. I'm going to nod. I'm just going to nod and be, be like, like yeah, yeah, you like that. Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm just like, you like that one. That one's cool, too. Did he just and move through it eventually? He, he moved through it. it we were yeah. there for 20 more minutes yeah. with a lot of nodding and the other kids kind of moving through and, and without stuff. escalating it by doing more like, no, we're not. But this, that's what's this, funny this, is this. instinctually we think that saying those things will nip it in the butt. Right. Or we're just hijacked and we control, can't control ourselves. <laughs> right. But it actually does escalate often, especially when kids are stressed or dysregulated yeah. or have a certain temp- temperament or whatever it is. So I think it's a good reminder to not add and to just listen and hold space for our kids' resistance because often they will still move through. Um, and really, later we can yeah, process. Creating, creating space for, for those concerns, yeah. for whatever it is. I hope that helps. Um, can you speak on using the word tood? Oh, rude. Sorry. Not naming a child as that, but explaining that speaking or acting rudely is and offering modeling examples of how to get the same message across. Mm. Yeah. I think sorry we couldn't respond to the DM about this. Listen and Um, yeah. This, um, this ties into also to our freedoms model. Um, our kids' freedom to speak and our kids' freedom to feel. And I think that. Within those two freedoms, we try not to judge our kids' expression. We try not to judge what they're going through. We try not to judge how hard that is for us to hear and feel sometimes. We try not to take those words personally. We try not to overfocus on the impact of those words for other people. Why? Because we're prioritizing self-awareness over socialization. So everyone in our kids' lives are going to be focusing on what to say, what not to say, how to say it, how not to say it, how it affects other people, right? Mm -hmm. How it comes off. And they're going to use those judgment words, which are inherently white patriarchal words, saying Mm -hmm. rude, Mm -hmm. like uh, selfish, Mm -hmm. bossy, bullyish, all of these words that are labels that connect a a child, especially his behavior, to who they are, right? And so when we say something our kid says is rude, they can very easily interpret that they become rude. They are rude. And mm-hmm. then it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think rather than throwing out these labels and judgments, we want to talk about uh, from a needs perspective, from a nonviolent communication perspective, and be saying things like, you're feeling, are you feeling this? Or that's feeling a little bit rough to me. Mm-hmm. So, or that's feeling, that's such, that feels so gentle to me. Thank you. So you're speaking from how you experience the words rather than um, than judging how they're saying the words and what that means about them. I don't know. I, I wouldn't do any of that because that tiptoes into the territory that we deal with a lot of coaching clients who say, I've just said that feels really unkind to me. Mm-hmm. And unkind, unkind is like is rude hard. light. Right. It's like it's, it's the, same, it's the thing. same thing. Unkind is rude light. So I think that... That any time we put a judgment on our kids' self-expression, especially when they're dysregulated, we're putting a judgment on their worthiness and their sense of belonging. And we can't separate it because they can't separate it. So the hard, the hard part, the meat of this job is, is separating those things for ourselves so that we can show up in a way that doesn't, um, pile on pressure, stress, judgment, and shame for our kids when they're struggling. So it's really decentering ourselves mm-hmm. in a relationship where I think oftentimes we're like, I'm a my job center yeah. to show them how important these relationship dynamics are. So I'm going to use 
what they say to me and what I say to them as an example of how to treat somebody else. Mm -hmm. But it gets a little tricky with those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, would a therapist be like, I feel like your words are unkind to me right now. Mm -hmm. And they're very rude. Mm -hmm. They would say, no, what are you needing? I'm of service to you because I'm your therapist, right? Mm -hmm. So how can I support you? What's going on underneath? How can I help you explore your feelings, gain awareness, build those skills? That's what we are as parents. And none of us actually knew that that would be the job that we'd be doing. And it puts us really at stakes with our own needs and our own sense of, Mm -hmm. um, of safety and our own, um, previous trauma and triggers, right? From mm-hmm. our own childhoods. It's a yeah. lot. It's it a really in, tricky it job. to our role yeah. and really getting clear on that and us giving you permission. You do not have to be your kid's correction officer. You do not have to be the police. You do not have to be the etiquette p- people. You do not have to be the judge, jury, hall monitor, right? Any of those things. You don't have to be that person. And I think we've been conditioned to think, that's my job. I got to lay it on I'm not hard their friend. Think. I'm their mom. This is my job right now. And it does not have to be. And research says, ideally, we can be someone else. Ideally, we can be a sensitive support staff. We can be, like you said, that therapist, that mediator, that EMT that comes on the scene. Like, this is my business. Everything's cool. Seen this a million times. My job is to serve you and to help Mm -hmm. you feel safe and seen Mm -hmm. and soothed and grow optimally right? It's not to be controlling you into becoming a person that you haven't become yet. It's again, that middle line of not letting everything go, which I think some folks might Mm -hmm. be listening and being like, so you're just let them walk all over you and do all of these things. Or it's not cracking down and controlling being like, you can't talk to me this way. That is rude Mm -hmm. words, blah, blah, blah. Kids know what rude words are from a very early age. And Instead of focusing on words they already know are rude, let's spend the time saying what is at the root of those rude words. So where is the suffering? Where is the struggle? If we can help you identify moments you struggle and figure out what they are and where they're from, then those rude words won't actually happen, mm-hmm. right? Or you won't be holding the rude words in and like having anxiety attacks, right? Yeah. So I think, and that's something that we brought up today in a post about hitting, biting, throwing, the question we get so often is how can I encourage my kids to use words instead of hitting, biting, throwing? And then once they use the words like you fucking asshole or I hate you, mom, people are like, how can I encourage them to not use those words? words. But (laughs) right, Right. we're constantly trying (laughs) to change our kids' expression and it sucks. They're developmentally developmentally appropriate. It it is. And I think that that's just the big reminder is just whatever you're seeing from your kid, step up to the plate and accept what they're dealing. Mm -hmm. Right. Play that hand the way it is instead of trying to shuffle all the cards and rejigger the game. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not a great metaphor. Someone said, my five-year-old is having frequent lengthy meltdowns. I try to be with her and let her feel what she is feeling, but I'm feeling guilty that my seven and two-year-old are left to themselves for 30 plus minutes at a time. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's it's so tricky when our, our kids are having really big meltdowns. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes there can be a little bit more alone and you can be like, oh, stirring the thing on the stove mm-hmm. and then going to that two-year-old 
or go into the bathroom real quick. And other ones are like, no, I need you present for this entire dysregulation Mm -hmm. situation. She said, it's often when we're transitioning. So they just sit and wait, or if they do not need me for something, it push, or if they do need me for something, it pushes me over the edge, feeling pulled in many directions. Yeah. And Marcy said, Sarah, I feel the same. My three-year-old's strong behaviors leave him getting so much attention all day, every day. I feel like my five-year-old is acting out more often just for attention seeking. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I think we get that a lot from um, folks we coach with as well, just saying it doesn't feel balanced. Mm-hmm. It feels unfair that I'm having to give this much to a more strong-willed, more spirited, more challenging child where with the other one... Needs. That's what I was going to say. Okay, yeah. Equals higher needs. Yeah. And I think that's okay. We were raised in a culture often of tit for tat. This sibling gets something, this sibling gets the most, the same amount. Each one needs to get exactly the same amount of our love, the attention, resources, shirts, tank tops, shoes, stuffies, whatever it is. And that's not necessarily always what's going to happen, right? Right. But it's hard. But when they do show those younger kids mm-hmm. or older kids show us that they're needing us, when we're trying to hold space and support another child's meltdown, it can really trigger us into being feeling so mm-hmm. helpless. Oh my gosh, I can't be there for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when we go into damage control and say, who needs me the most? What can I do to support everybody? How can I, we were talking in the beginning of this episode with prepare, mm-hmm. presence, right? And preparation, presence, and processing. So in the moment when I'm trying to give presence to one child and other kids are needing me, I'm going to do the best I can. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that this melting down child with, that's doing it for 30 minutes is in a safe place where if I need to pop out for a moment, I can and they will be safe, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to process with that child, the other children. I'm going to say, sometimes I have to step out and it's not that I'm leaving you. It's just, I want to make sure everyone else is safe. Mm-hmm. And they're telling the other kids, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm with um, you know the five-year-old and it's a he's lot really of struggling. He's really struggling and I want to be there to help secure his body and help his nervous system. But I know that you're needing me too sometimes. And what can we do? This is really tricky. Even when I'm with him, I'm thinking about you and I'm hoping that I could be there to help you as soon as I possibly can. Can we have a plan for when this happens? Thank you. You go to a place or do a thing mm-hmm. and I check in on you or we say a word where we're like bebop and we know, okay, this is our plan. Mm-hmm. And then the next time, the next morning we do a preparation today. Mm-hmm sometimes five-year-old might have a meltdown because we're going to school and it's mm-hmm. a tricky Monday. So what's our plan again? Mm-hmm. And we, pr- we prepare so that we can all move forward. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's still just really hard. And I want to acknowledge that too, that there's no perfect way to go about it. Yeah. It's, it's funny. We were talking about the, the role we want to conjure though, and it being less of a hall monitor, police, etiquette, uh, police people, um, jury, judge, all of those things, and more of that EMT type person or like an ER doc, right? They're going to go to the person that's bleeding the most. (laughs) They're going to go to the situation that's needing the most attention first. And they're going to have eyes and ears on other things. These are the things that none of us ever knew we would have to deal with as parents. We're like, we'll just have some babies and bring them along and take pictures and have fun and make memories. And it's going to be awesome. And we didn't think we have to be constantly calibrating where our energies and attentions are going based on the needs of these ba- little people right. who are screaming like something is terribly wrong totally. with them. It's like, it's right. like Mission Impossible goggles on mm-hmm. with like the, the energy level of each one draining and going up and down and needing me and with the directions and the noise level and all of these things that we're mentally calibrating yeah. and moving through. It's so much. It's a lot. And the more kids you have, the more it is. Mm-hmm. So... 
It's a lot. We see that for sure. Mm-hmm. Hope we answered that question. If that was helpful, a couple of people maybe put some more uh, stickers and someone wanted to join. I don't think we can do that tonight, but send us a DM yeah. or type down here if you've got something going on. Yeah. Someone said, can you talk about lying, which is an important developmental milestone and how it changes as children age? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone said, I'm so excited to find you gals live. I've been bringing your podcasts, binging your podcasts, and just bought your big feelings guide tonight. Oh, thanks for doing that. Oh, someone said, how do you do that when it's constantly aimed at their sibling? Like she ruins everything. She's so annoying. I want to let my son express how he's feeling, but not at the expense of his sibling. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to let him express in, we'll talk about lying lane, um, in private, let him express about his sibling. He's so annoying, right? He ruins everything. Great. Let that all out. I am so sorry you're feeling that way. I'm so sorry that you wanted to go to the park and he he was struggling and we couldn't go. So Kelty's translating here too. So Mm -hmm. you can validate and say, yes, thank you for sharing that. And then you translate to the words that you want him to adopt and the other sibling to hear. He left before you were ready and that made you feel frustrated. Or you wish that blah, 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 but he this. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that is hard. You were needing this thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he was needing this thing. And that made it hard for you to oh, get your need man. met. Oh, so you're yes. translating. You're getting from the, that, that really inflammatory, overly simplistic binary language, language that our kids are taking because of their brains. And you're saying, I'm going to help you build more context, build more skills, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you can also, so we were talking about preparation, presence, processing after, right? Prevention. Prevention. Presence, oh, processing. But it could be prevention or preparation, oh, I think, also. And then you can say, you can vote how, in, in how the did it comments. Go? <laughs> how did it go? This was tricky today. And you mm-hmm. can build context after the fact, too. So whatever you can't fill in in the moment because emotions are high, you're feeling a little stressed, less talking is usually better if you're struggling mm-hmm. to support those that really inflammatory language. Just keep nodding, translate if you can, and then be like, mental note, I'm going to circle back with each of the kids later or tomorrow yeah. as best I can. And this comes up so often with kids too who are having inflammatory language about themselves, about a friend, about school, about anything where you're like, oh, oh no, 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 no. I need you to love this thing. I want right. you to love this so much. It's so destabilizing this that you're saying This feels terrible. And yeah. every fiber of our being, can I have another soda? Mm-hmm. Every fiber of our being says, no, don't feel this. Don't think this. Don't say this for my right. tender ears and heart, right? And those are the moments when our kids are like, my brother's a fucking asshole or my teacher is the worst. I'm never going back to school or grandma is, is I, I can't even talk about grandma. And we're like, what? But grandma does daycare three days a week. I need or, you to love her. I need you to yeah. love her. Right. That's what we want to say. I struggle with her too, but you got to uh-huh. love her. Right. <laughs> that's when we can yeah. lean in and say, oh yeah, grandma, it's hard. Or school. Yeah. You've been there a lot and it's new. How's it been going? Or your brother, when he gets in your way, when you're trying to, yes. Mm-hmm. And we try to say, yes, right. We're not saying hurt him, never go to school. Grandma's on our, you know, blacklist, whatever it is. We're saying, I see you. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I get you. Right. Right. And sometimes that's enough to just even extinguish the, the, the potentially challenging situation, just feeling hurt. Yeah. Think about those moments with your spouse where you're like, work today was unsustainable. And they're like, well, it's, you know, it's paying a, getting a paycheck. And you're like, 
it, well, it's the worst ever, and I might never go back. And you start uh, this woman is impossible that I work with. And he's like, well, she's not that bad. I mean, it's just, can't you just like work with her? You could maybe or, you guys like, can problem solve geez. and get along. It's just it's constant rejection, 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 rejection. They're saying no, feeling. no, no, wrong, wrong, wrong. You're alone. You're alone. You're alone. Even when they're trying to help. Yeah. And so I think in those moments that we're trying so hard to help, which is basically help ourselves feel safer, (laughs) right? We're going to think, I can feel safe through a partnership, friendship, whatever the thing is. What's my job later? My job right now is to help my child feel safe and what they're experiencing. We'll talk about school tomorrow. Talk about grandma tomorrow night, next week, weekend, whatever. Nothing is on the line right now. My job is to just hear my child out, help them feel safe in their mm-hmm. bodies and their feelings. Yeah. That's something we want to encourage them to do so that they don't have to drink their worries away or, or shop their worries away. Or do too much like non-insurance covered therapy when they're older. Yeah. Let's do this lying one. Okay. Can you talk about lying, which is an important developmental milestone and how it changes as children age? Oh, I love talking about lying. I love I that have- you acknowledge that it's an important <clears throat> Developmental milestone, first of all. Yeah, I think that the earlier the lying that happens is when kids are differentiating um, theory of mind, when they realize that they have their own mind and that we can't necessarily read it. We don't know all of their thoughts mm-hmm. or they're testing that out. Do they know? Mm-hmm. And so, so much about it is it lying. It, we're all conditioned to think of it as like evil, all these things. And of course, we think of it as Through wrong. It's the devil. Right? <laughs> we think of it as evil because systems... Um, and institutions don't want lying to happen because that they goes need transparency to succeed, right? They need, yeah. they need productive, transparent individuals doing every single thing they're meant to do. Lying works against the system. Lying works against their productivity and profitability and all of these other things. So we all have a belief about lying that it's inherently wrong and it's very religious based as well, not just mm-hmm capitalistic, but it's religious as well. So we've got a lot of overlapping beliefs Mm -hmm. that holding something in and withholding information or changing information is bad. But when we think about it from a child development context and perspective, we can see that there are so many benefits and understandable uh, kind of developmental underpinnings to lying. Really, a lot of nuances. I think so much about it, like I said, is that theory of mind where they're testing it out. Do they know what I know do I know what they know? Mm-hmm. And it's they're learning about brains. So punishing them for experimenting and learning can get a little bit tricky. And then also as they grow older too. And then don't do it. As in don't do yeah. it. And then as they're getting older too, they start realizing maybe I should own some things that I think or experience that I'm starting to realize I don't have to share and shouldn't necessarily share for privacy or agency mm-hmm. or self reasons. So they're developing the self, less of a differentiation in early pulling experimentation. apart and experimentation, mm-hmm. but more of a saying, I'm who I am. And I want to use that to say, it's me. This knowledge I, is mine. This is mine. And I don't, or this behavior is mine or this experience is mine. And that's also incredibly valid mm-hmm. that we don't think our kids necessarily have to divulge and explain and and give all of this to other people yeah. just because they ask or think everyone deserves to know everything that mm-hmm. I'm thinking, doing, knowing, mm-hmm. feeling. And I right? think that that steps in so it's much a privacy to, issue. to our kids' free- issue, our kids' freedom to know. And I think right. as parents, we think, well, I have the responsibility. And I don't have to tell them everything that I'm thinking, doing, um, working towards whatever, mm-hmm. but they need to be a blank slate to me because uh, for their safety, <clears throat> I'm going to say, like a lot of institutions, right. for, for their safety below me. 
they, they need to tell me everything just so I know what's going on. And it's bullshit. You're right, Hannah. It's patriarchal bullshit. And it's not true. Our kids have the freedom to know and to keep secrets from us and to, and to share what they feel that they are able to in the moment. Right. And I think that this also tiptoes into what is trust. Oh, oh, okay. I was going to say trust. Go ahead. You do trust after. Truth. What is true? We get so into the weeds as parents being like, well, that's not true. That's a lie. So I asked you a question and you told me something and that's not true at all. And I think Very, that, again, the rational thinking, which yeah, is also white patriarchal it instead is. of the feeling and, and it's the anti, And it's anti-developmental yeah. like stuff, which is basically our kids have their own fucking truth. And reality. And reality, mm-hmm. personal reality, whatever it is. They might say, no, I, I didn't say that, or I don't like her, or I did go wash my hands. And we have to respect the fact that they have their own personal truth, whether they realize that that's maybe not exactly what happened or not. It's something we have to respect saying, you have your own mind, you have your own reality, you have your own truth. I have mine. Instead of, I am the fact police, Mm -hmm. I am the truth police. And I need to convert you into (laughs) realistically absorbing and living through my truth. (laughs) Thought we'd be losing more people by now. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think so much about lying too is it gets to a point. So I think oftentimes we'll really crack down with early, like younger kids lying, like Mm -hmm. toddler to like young kids, because it's so scary to us. We're like, oh my God, lying's wrong. They need to know they have to tell me everything. They need to know that that's not okay. And so what we're telling often our kids is saying, we're saying lying is okay. That's our intention. Mm -hmm. But then they're experiencing and saying, well, my hope is not okay. My deeper need is not okay. My anxiety about something is not Mm -hmm. okay. Because lying is a symptom of a really deeper thing going on. And that's why we want to talk about leaning into a lie that our kids have and saying, what's at play here? What are you needing? What are you Mm -hmm. thinking? Why would you say that? Instead of being like, that's wrong. That's lying. It's not true. Blah, 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 blah. That's not true. And I think that that's where our instincts really kind of undermine our our progress and our kids' progress too, Mm -hmm. which is in those moments that our kids are lying to us, we're conditioned to say, I'm going to make this situation feel very unsafe for them. Or when our kids tell us something that we don't like, <clears throat> even your stupid mom, right? We're, we think, I'm going to make this feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. And we're basically conditioning a space for our kids to share with us that doesn't feel stable. Mm-hmm. So that's why so much about the, this line conversation is asking the question, are we creating a space for our kids to speak to us in harsh words and soft words and love word, loving words, whatever way? that says your words are welcome here. Your truth is always welcome here. Because I think lies often, we talk about this, are because our kids don't feel necessarily safe in telling us their truth. Right. So they could be, as we mentioned, developmentally mm-hmm. appropriate, as they, they could be cloaking for wishes or needs mm-hmm. or these things that our kids can't adaptively communicate yet. And then they can also be self-protective measures that our kids ultimately use a lie in order to protect themselves from punishment, from lack of affection or attention, from Mm -hmm. censure, from shame. Mm -hmm. So they can be protective mechanisms. They can ultimately become. So that's how lies, there's so many other facets of lies, Mm -hmm. why kids use lies, but those are three of the ones like experimental with differentiation, um, uh, Mm -hmm. inability to communicate more effectively. So it's very blanket and obvious. Mm -hmm. And then self-preservation, type related where they don't want to get in trouble or feel like shit. And it is so understandable why they would lie because they don't feel the trust that they could tell us something that they did without getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's why punishments are so terrible because they're prohibitive. They're saying, Mm -hmm. 
you can't show me what you're needing. You can't show me what you're needing to learn. You can't show me what you're it feeling. It snowballs the behavior. Yeah. It reinforces it. And it, it says, and it keeps you're a, right. Don't tell me the right. things that you're afraid to tell Create me. Create an area mm-hmm. where you just keep all of these things private to yourself because I've showed you by how I respond that those mm-hmm. things aren't okay with me. So literally lie, lie to me. Keep things from me. We're encouraging that when we punish our kids. But that's what's interesting too. I think that when people come to us in coaching sessions and they're like, my child is lying. This is so bad. And the first thing we usually say is they're so smart. This is lying is such an adaptive behavior. It's an incredibly intelligent, adaptive behavior to get a kid's needs met. I lied in my first confession, but for real, it goes deep. And someone else said, LOL, been there, Catholic friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, lying, you're like... Oh, you're, you're not, I don't even know the Catholic language, but like, if you lie, you're impure. If you lie, you're not going to heaven. If you lie there, there's so much religious and social pressure and cultural baggage and pressure around self-preservation or vulnerability versus you all. Is it me or you? Mm -hmm. And so when we're conditioning our kids to constantly think it's our needs against theirs, they're going to start protecting themselves using lying mm-hmm. or hiding mm-hmm. or deceit or those types of things yeah. because it goes underground if there's not a safe place for it to be explored and expressed and worked mm-hmm. through in a parent-child relationship. And I think that that's where in that safe place that we talk about building in our home, that bubble, that like conditioned loving place where anyone anyone can say anything, which is so hard to move through when those things don't feel good or mm-hmm. trigger us or whatever it is. So much of it is about vulnerability. And we talk about this always in the manners conversation. Mm-hmm. Are they saying, please? Are they saying, thank you? Are they saying, I'm sorry? Are they saying I was wrong? Are they saying I need help? And I think it's a perfect time to mm. question. Are we creating a space that is safe <laughs> to be vulnerable as a human? Mm-hmm. Are we saying I was wrong? Are we saying I need help? Are we saying I'm sorry? Because that is how our children learn to do it. Mm-hmm. Are we saying, I, I didn't really tell you this thing because I was struggling and I worried what you th- might think about but it. You can't be vulnerable if there's not a safe environment to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we create as parents. Lane, you said there's also creativity to lying. I used to just tell tales because it was a better story. Mm-hmm. Story in design. Yeah. That reminds me of Anne of Green Gables. I was going to say that. Where she lied to Marilla about the brooch because she was like, I don't know where the brooch it went. It just slipped from my it, fingers into the, the sea water. of shining water. Right. Exactly. Just, like there's down so much, to the depth part of the development. That's part more interesting too. than I don't know where it went. Right. Or I can't do it. It's a communication. Mm-hmm. It's an adaptive creative mechanism. There's so much beautiful stuff at play. I just, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say also about lying? I think when our kids lie, let's talk about that really quick. Sure. sure. Let's say our kids lie and, and we, we know they're lying. We know they're lying. Okay. Right. Um, how do we want to respond in that way? Right. We don't, we don't want to just let it completely go. Again, we don't want to crack down on it hard. You're going to do the middle. Find that middle way again with a lie. I think where we get curious. Yeah. I think the name of the game is neutral and then curious. Create safety around the ambiguity of a situation Uh and a statement. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. You washed your hands. Okay. Okay. And we're like, I know they didn't. Right. Right. So that might be also questioning, should we let this go? Like, should we let this go now? And then 
If or, they're lying about washing hands, maybe we have to go to the bathroom with them every time mm-hmm. to help them move through washing hands. Or bring it up later. Right? I feel like a couple of times you said you washed your hands. I feel like I didn't hear the water. Like, is there a reason? Is there something that's weird going on with your nails? Like, just I'm just checking in on you just for hygiene stuff. What's right. going on with that? Right. Or you said you finished your homework, um, and and I floated that even though I knew right, they hadn't. You know what? I, I I was just wondering, not that I heard from your teacher or anything, but just want to make sure that you're on top of the homework. Because if there's ever a hiccup, I'm here to talk about it. I'm here to support you. Like, because sometimes there's a lot. And, and it can feel like you're just like, I want to make it all better. You're just like, or, check that done, even though I didn't do it. Because it's just like, who likes to do all that stuff? So but like, I, I think that you're moving into a place of saying, as a parent, we can preempt and say, no matter what you do, you were loved. No matter how you show up and what you're struggling with, you can share that with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to respond in a way that supports you and doesn't just support me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that all, that also happens when we come upon our kids having lied about something mm-hmm. or when maybe they even, God forbid, confess something to us, which my daughter has been doing more and more because she's starting to feel safe in realizing she did something privately on her own. And then is like, I'm going to tell mom about that because we're trying to create a safe space around those types of things. Mm -hmm. Like um, maybe she brought food into her room Mm -hmm. um, and which we, we just eat in the kitchen. (gasps) She told me she brings food into her room and then I come in and she's like, you know, and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And then I say something like when you catch them in a lie, basically I say, you can know, you can tell me anything and I'm here for you. I just want to move move through this and learn mm-hmm. together. And then she'll say, I, ha- I brought this, you know, bread into the room. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be like, okay. So, and then I'll be like, so remember, like, how are you feeling about that? Remember why we do that? And she's like, well, okay. So I know that we don't want to get crumbs on the floor because of the ant situation. So I did a three and mat so thing. I did a uh-huh. three mat thing and whatever. And I'll say, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. Like, I'm really glad. I appreciate it. So I'm validating the fact that she was honest. Mm-hmm. And I'm creating a safe place around her being quote unquote caught so that she'll want to show me and tell me those things more often, right? Rather than thinking the opposite direction, which we tend to be like, I'm going to crack down hard. How could you mm-hmm. lie to me? That's so terrible. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're going against our family's rules. I love this con- I'm disappointed in you. I love this concept of catching our kids in a lie in a safe way. Yeah, because that's something that I've experienced with my daughter too. Where oh, the shame like, can be so bad. <laughs> she's like on her iPad, said she was just reading her books because she's got a Libby app for library stuff. And yeah. I, I hear uh, maybe she's watching something in there. And so I pop in and I'm not like tiptoeing to like freak her out or anything, but I'm just like, hey, at the doorway. And I hear her like doing this like, big fumble <laughs> thing. And I walk in and she's like, hey. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, hey, how's, you know, what you doing? She's like, I was just reading. And I was like, Oh, and uh, you can use humor too. And she'd be like, reading? Okay. I thought I heard something. And she'd be like, I was watching a little thing. And I was like, oh, what's the thing? Okay, show me. And then I say later, because, you know, I thought we talked about maybe just doing book stuff, but maybe I hadn't done that. And she was like, no, we said book stuff. And I was like, okay, just checking. That was cool though. So Mm -hmm. I'm validating her experience in doing the thing. I'm validating the fact that she confessed it, even though I kind of caught her. Mm -hmm. I'm making safe the space of being caught, right? Mm-hmm. So it that she won't, backward, but so that she won't continue to be like, nope, nope, not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Vault here, mm-hmm. never going to admit anything, never going to be vulnerable, never going to work through and process something, which mm-hmm. then makes us want to like prey on them harder and catch them more, mm-hmm. pry it, it, it open. It creates this like them us kind uh-huh. of thing, adversary 
um, struggle instead of saying we're allies. How can I support you? I noticed that you mm-hmm. ended up watching that when we plan to read. So mm-hmm. what's the situation? Do we need a new agreement? What's yeah. up? But I think it also speaks to the fact, like what kind of culture do we want to be building? And this comes up so much with parents of teens that we coach with. I don't want to yeah. be living in call out culture where I'm constantly saying, uh, your, your social media usage, uh, why are you going to your friend's house? You're always on the phone or you haven't done your homework. I'm so mad at you. You're canceled. You're done. Right? Like, done with the iPad. That's done the, with the whatever. The feeling that we yeah. have. And I think if we want to be, if anything, in that direction, call in culture mm-hmm. where we're calling somebody in lovingly instead of commenting on their wall hypothetically being like, this is stupid or you suck or this whatever is problematic. We call in through a DM or a connection and saying, hey, I noticed this thing and I'm feeling like it it might be problematic because of this, but you tell me your version or what are you enjoying about it? Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, I got really freaked out and yelled Mm -hmm. when I noticed you were using that knife we'd agreed not to use cutting your apple up. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say, I'm sorry I freaked out and got really mad and was like, you're never using knives again. And I was like, wah, Mm -hmm. you know? And I just wanted to say... uh, it's okay that you're trying to do these things and mm-hmm. I trust you ultimately, right? This mm-hmm. Trust is so much about like breaking that lying cycle saying, I trust you. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to continue to be close, mm-hmm. right? Because if we can feel connected, then you're going to continue to, <laughs> it's like, to it's open just up so to backward me, because right? our culture says, yeah. if someone lies, you have to tell them that you distrust them. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I don't trust you anymore. I don't trust a single thing you say because right. you just You've lied broken to me. my trust. And I'm not going to create safety around it. This feels unsafe and I'm going to make you feel extra unsafe so that you don't do it again. Right. Right. It's just yeah. like, it's so crazy. Everyone's like, yes, of course. Yeah. That makes familiar. so much sense to me. Been there. And all the research too. says, do the opposite. Yeah. Do the exact opposite. Yeah. But it's so weird. Love on that lie. <laughs> Love on them. Understand and think about why they were trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Why they were feeling insecure enough to hide something. Yeah. Why they may want that privacy, why they may want that safety, why they may want to be experimenting with those things Mm -hmm. and say, I'm an ally. You can always tell me anything, Mm -hmm. anything. The the two words that bump so much in our spirited kids group, we've got one spot left Thursday nights. That's all that's left for Mm -hmm. January. The two words that have bumped the most, especially for parents of older kids with teenagers too, is so you want me to normalize this negative thing. And you want me to create safety feelings around it and not even just safety, but positive associations around this terrifying, terrible thing, lying, angry words, um, no homework done, messy room, challenging behavior, zero hygiene. No veggies. You want me to normalize it, create safety and positive associations around this terrifying thing. Yes. 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 (laughs) Because when we do all of those things, connection happens. And when connection happens, learning happens, right? And when learning happens, growth happens. Growth happens for us, for our kids, for our relationship. That's the only way growth can happen is through connection, not correction. No growth that is sustainable or positive can happen. Or healthy. With with correction, right? But that's what we're all taught. So that's the flip, the mental flip that we're all doing in these moments is saying we're going to take the belief that correction is the most effective way to teach our kids and control and say, nope, it's connection and it's emotional security, right? That's what teaches people best. All people, we learn best that way too. And then our goal is then not 
obedience, conformity, harmony, but it's learning and understanding one another, mm-hmm. understanding the self. That's what changes behavior ultimately and not at the risk of that, that important self. Mm-hmm. And then our role goes from being that pain in the ass, judge, jury, hall monitor, like the just annoying person that doesn't feel good, that feels like we're our mom or our grandma, right? And it moves to the role of ally instead of adversary, where we can be that sensitive support staff with our kids, mm-hmm. where learning can actually happen, where relationship can stay strong, right? That's yeah. the goal in all of these. Someone said, I yeah. don't know why it's so hard for parents to apologize. You're modeling that everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's because we all have trauma and we talked Mm -hmm. about that, that sense of vulnerability. How can we feel vulnerable in a safe way saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't know. I need help. Please. Any of those things are, they're all such vulnerable statements. Yeah. They're so vulnerable. And And, and the ways that we learn them was, was through tension and anxiety through hierarchy and and hierarchy and fear. And if we learn those things, those skills, of saying, please, thank you, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I need help, I don't know, through fear, then we've got a lot of baggage with those things. And it makes us hard to think that those are beautiful skills to be modeling for our kids because they feel so hard. And necessary to do often, right? Mm -hmm. And joyously. It puts us in a a sense of of lack about our own needs and our own feelings rather than a sense of abundance and confidence and security in those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) This is a good departure maybe to end also low power mode. So let's see if we can get to this. Someone said in a world where being a parent automatically means you need to be perfect. This is not actual. I love that vulnerability concept. We're still learning as they are. Yeah. And we can model, you know, I didn't tell you something yesterday about this thing. And I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. I was like stressed about it or I forgot about it. Or I wish that it was something else, so I just didn't say it. We yeah. can be modeling we can so say much one for thing, though. Just apologize all over the place. Yeah. Hold your limits. Hold your boundaries. Freak out and use the control toolbox when you are hijacked. And apologize often yeah. for situations, for yeah. challenges, for struggles. Not, for not that you needs. made a bad choice. Not that you were wrong. Not that you were bad. No. But just that you were human and that you're going to try better next time. And what are you going to do to try differently next time? Yeah. Someone said, I find it hard to take my toddler, three-year-old, from the park or playground or play center without him running around screaming or throwing himself on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's hard to stop. It's mm-hmm. hard to, to, um, to stop playing and doing something that you're excited about. It's hard at the end of the day, if that's a thing, mm-hmm. right? I try hard to be calm, she says, but ends up me carrying him. Mm-hmm. That's a hard way to end a, a situation. I want to say, too, that... That's not a fail. I think so often we deal with um, or we connect with with coaching folks and they're just like, it was so good. And then we had to drag them out of there and it was just like fail. It was felt so wrong. It was so bad. And I think that um, one thing I would ask people to try to do is to recondition their thinking in that way to say it wasn't bad. It wasn't a fail. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't bad just because you had to help their body and support them out of that transition. Right? It just was. It just was. And I think, again, remembering, giving ourselves grace and our child grace and saying, what can we do next time? So mm-hmm. back to that Resist prevention approach. or um, mm-hmm. or uh, preparation, presence in the moment, and then processing after. What can we do after to prepare my child or prepare myself? Can I take the transition of having to leave a park or a play space where I'm like, let's go. We're going. It's and, time. And they're like, 
they're like, that's not enough for me. This is, this is not enough. And mm-hmm. I'm going to throw my body on the ground to show you that this transition is too quick for me. Can we expand that transition? Can it be that we have a routine before we leave? Can it be that we have a bird song or a Batman call or whatever it is before we go? That we do something together where I push them on the swings and then we leave, where we have an agreement, where we set it up, where we have some a seed planted, so a little mm-hmm. bridge from the park or the play space to what we're going to do in the car. Is there a snack? Is, do they choose the song? There's that book. So they can mentally move. Their brains mm-hmm. literally can't plan. Their executive functioning is not built in their brains yet. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to open that moment of transition from park to car or house to car I or think whatever that, it yeah, is? Yeah, but that sounds so backward, I think, to a lot of people who are like, I'd like a quicker transition. Yeah. I need a, I need that to all speed up, right? not slow down, just open it up and make it longer. But I think that that's what we have to do to tease apart the, yeah. the intricacies and, and problem solve and tweak a little bit. Mm-hmm. Any situation where we're like, this was such a shit show and I just want it to go away or shorten, we have to, to get longer. Unspool that baby, mm-hmm. pull it all out, dissect it, look at it all. <clears throat> And it will shorten. The whole say, thing will. What's my kid? If my kid is melting down and doing all these things, what mm-hmm. are they needing? And it might and not is necessarily not just, I want to be at the park longer, but mm-hmm. maybe I just need a different communication strategy or exit plan or transition maybe time. Maybe it needs to be you. half an hour earlier. Maybe. And yeah, I mean, it's the resist approach. And yeah. it's, it could be in the moment resist approach. It could be earlier. It could say, hey, I've noticed Sometimes when we go to that one play park, which is so fun, like I love that park. Let's dig into that first. Yeah, Sometimes it that. feels like a, a challenge to leave. And I end up sort of being like, Jerome, come on, Jerome, come on, Jerome. And then you'd be like, ah, and you don't want to go. And I get it. Yeah. What can we do to feel like connected and get in the car? Cause we've got, you know, dinner and bedtime and stuff to get to. Do you have any ideas? Like I want to make this work for both of us. Right. Right? We can build skills and innovation right now around this park thing. Right. And this is a three-year-old. Oh, hi. This is a three-year-old. They can totally participate in this conversation. Oh, that's why this weird light. Yeah. Um, a three-year-old can totally participate in this conversation. And if they're just kind of like, I don't know, I'm stressed even thinking about that because we've had some <clears throat> situations where you haul me out by my ankles and it doesn't feel well, you good. you count down from 10, right. which can increase stress. Right? right. Then we kind of just muse and say, I wonder if maybe we could leave earlier. Or I was thinking maybe we could connect um, right at halftime about it. And you pick the song that we're going to listen to in the car. And then I say that name, the song name, five minutes and you'll before know we go. You have a little bit of time and then for your favorite thing to do last. And then what kind of ride do you want to do? Do you want to do a piggyback? Do you want to do a front back? Do you want to do a shoulders? How do you want to do it on the way to the car? And just experimenting with basically a transition, which is hard for any kid, mm-hmm. especially again, at the end of the day. But again, it's helping them. You're building all mm-hmm. those skills. This isn't uh, unnecessary, worrisome, problematic. This is saying my kid is feeling resistance mm-hmm. to something. And the work that I do and invest in supporting them through it is building skills and relationship. It's helping them when they have an inner resistance to anything else along the way, the rest of their childhood with me or after they're going to say, I have ideas. I feel safe in this feeling. Mm-hmm. I feel an, I have an ally or a partner in this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think of ideas. And eventually our children begin to think of those ideas. I don't want to go from the park yet. Mm-hmm. What if we do this instead? And then we go and you're like, okay, solid. That's a solid idea. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Thanks for thinking of something. And yeah. I don't have to think but of anything. But it's not all cerebral and it's not all yeah. thinking. And I feel like we should end mm, on this, which I is love continuing that. to attune our kids to their bodies, to mm-hmm. their needs. Right. That's our work. It's not making them look perfect or sound perfect or do everything we say. 
It's tuning them back in and it feels so entitled and so self, you know, centered. It is self-centered. It's centering on the self and saying, what are you needing? What's going on here? What's the struggle? What's this is happening? where the critical skills are built yeah. inside our children, mm-hmm. not based on outside expectations. And the more work we're doing, leaning into what our kids are needing, this is not permissive. This is not stupid work. Yeah. This is incredibly vital, important work. The sooner they're able to vocalize those needs mm-hmm. in adaptive ways to get them met and then help other people serve their needs. Mm-hmm. Truly, as opposed yeah. to saying, shut down your needs and be helping everyone else. And then when you're 40. And meanwhile, be in total confusion and resentment. <laughs> and then and when stress. you're 40, yeah. you can start reading Brene, maybe see a therapist, get back into this stuff, right? Start that, from scratch. That's our work. Yeah. So that's what we're doing here. And we're really grateful that you've all um, contributed to tonight. And thanks for our bundle added coat. Talk like so cold tonight. Yeah. Um, it means a lot that you're here and we're thinking about you all rolling into the holidays a week from Christmas, Mm -hmm. you know, the next couple of weeks being holidays, big time, um, less is more. You're doing an amazing Mm -hmm. job. Keep breathing. (laughs) Keep your sense of humor. Everybody you got this right. It's all okay. Right. All right. Yeah. Connect with us. We'll try to maybe do a live next week. If there's a time that works for everyone, otherwise we'll have it up on the Instagram and podcast in case it can serve you in some way before the new year's. Um, so thanks so much for being here. Thanks for all you do. See you soon.